This is the Negotiate X Podcast, Show 41, Part A. You're listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Hello and welcome to the NegotiateX podcast. I'm your co-founder and co-host, Nolan Martin. With me today is my good friend, co-founder, co-host, Aram Denisian. Aram, as always, how are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm great. And we've got an exciting uh, guest lined up today. So Absolutely. Let's jump right into it and introduce our guest. Yeah. So our, our guest is going to be familiar to a number of folks who've watched Netflix's Million Dollar Home or Discover Plus HGTV selling the Hamptons. It's JB Andreasi. And I met JB a few months ago while doing a program we were both part of for the Tuck School of Business where I teach for their bridge program, which is JB's a graduate of that program. I'll talk about JB in a little more, a little more there. He did such a great job of that program and the participants enjoyed him so much. I was like, hey, would you come on our podcast and talk a little bit about your experiences? And he, uh, he he's gracing us with his time. So let me just tell a little, a little bit about JB. So JB is a co-principal of the Residential Luxury Development Company, Andre S.A. Development. He's a Net Seeker, Nest Seekers Luxury Real Estate Agent. He's a graduate of Dartmouth College where he played football, and he's a graduate of the Tuck School of Business Bridge Program. He takes an in-depth analytical approach to all of his business transactions. His love of the twin relationships between building and selling came later after college. In his early career, he worked for the National Hockey League as part of the business development team and was responsible for tens of millions of dollars of corporate partnership assets. He left the NHL to join the Related Management Group in 2016. And as an employee of one of the biggest real estate development firms in the world, he, JB gained invaluable real estate knowledge about selling and developing in the DC and Manhattan markets. After a successful year and a half with Related Management Group, he decided it was time to return home and be closer to his family. Just as important, however, was finding a position within a real estate group that represented his values and beliefs and shared in his desire to help individuals make their dream of being a Hamptons homeowner a reality. Nest Seekers International was the obvious choice. Trust, diligence, and accountability are the most important items when it comes to representing a client and transaction on their behalf. In this ever-changing and sometimes extremely challenging business, it is critical to know and trust that you have a representative who is accessible around the clock. It'll be fun to dig into that, by the way, mm. uh, as we talk about negotiation. And we'll do whatever it takes to help you achieve your goals. One of those goals is to keep a sustainable relationship and friendship well after the transaction is complete. JB goes the extra mile to make sure his clients have a comfortable, customized, and enjoyable experience when looking to purchase or sell their home in one of the most beautiful and unique places in the world. JB, that's a heck of a bio. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to <laughs> welcome to the program. Yeah. Makes it sound like you're 60 years old to yes. have, have yes. done so much. Yeah, I've crammed in a lot. And thank you again, Aram and Nolan, for having me today. And it's uh, you know definitely an honor to be here and <clears throat> speak with you guys about my experiences. And, and hopefully, you know, I, I want to learn from you guys as well because I think, and I think we'll dive into this a little deeper. But 
I'm someone that's continue, continuously sort of a sponge and want to just learn from everyone and anything around me. And yeah, it does, that bio did make me seem like I was 60, but I'm 31 years old. And still, I think a lot of us out there in our 20s and 30s still trying to figure it out. So, and that's okay. So, uh, but thank you again for having me. JB, I'm closing in a couple more years on 50. So I'm, I'll be 48 this year. And I share your sentiment. I'm, I'm learning. The day we stop learning is the day we might as well just crawl in a hole and die. 100%. So. And JB, I don't know if you knew this, but Aaron was actually my professor at West Point. And in 2011, 2010, he was my professor. He was a lot younger. I don't think he had as much gray. <laughs> he definitely didn't have a beard since he was uh, a major in the army. But yeah, so that's, I don't know if you knew that. I did that. not realize that. That's that's amazing. And I know Aram's touched a lot of different people, whether it's Tuck Bridge or in the military. So it's cool to see uh, see it in the flesh and see a student here. And, and now you guys are partners doing this thing. So this is very cool. Thanks, JB. So JB, let's kick off the podcast. The first thing we kind of like to ask is your journey of getting to real estate and where you are today. And, and what I think we should first kind of do is figure out what's different with the type of real estate that you are dealing with in forms of development or the high-end aspect of things. First, what most people probably listen to the podcast understand as your traditional real estate salesman. Yeah, of course. So I, as you guys mentioned, I am a real estate advisor slash developer out in the Hamptons. I think really, you know, I've been asked this question a lot. I think for me, what it goes back to is just growing up around real estate and, and, and more specifically around construction. Uh, my father has been a builder his entire life. He's 71 now. And he saw an opportunity in the late 80s, early 90s to come out to the Hamptons where um, it was a place that was sort of, you know, believe it or not, kind of underdeveloped back then 30 years ago. And he wanted to sort of take his skills and align it with a market that he saw as opportunistic. And so he moved out here and then had, you know, married my mom and had me and my brother and sister. And so we grew up, my brother and I just, we we're on backhoes, we we're on bulldozers, we we're swinging hammers and just really immersed into this world of building homes, uh, very, very big homes and trying to figure out when you're four five, six years old, who the heck is living in these things? You know, it, it's certainly not my <laughs> students and classmates that are around me in, in Southampton public schools because we're sort of the, we call it the locals or the all year rounders here. But that's really to answer your question when my first sort of love and passion started, I guess. And then, you know, my other love was sports and I took a little detour, I think, in my real estate career and trajectory. And, and I went into sports and I worked for the NHL right outside, right when I uh, graduated from Tuck Bridge in Dartmouth. And I, I'm so glad I did that and didn't jump right into the real estate thing because I was fully involved in just, just the everyday corporate lifestyle and being in Midtown Manhattan and being surrounded by super successful individuals, much smarter individuals than myself, and really having that ability to learn from them and just figure out, you know, different styles of how they how they transact, different styles of working with clients and, and experiential things. And and I've learned how to take the really good things that I learned from them and the bad things and apply it to not the bad things, but apply the good things to to my own style and figure out how I can, you know, how I can make my own brand and business. And then um, so I had went into the NHL and I was great. And then had an opportunity to work for one of the biggest firms in real estate related development who's super big in manhattan and some of the other key markets around the country um, out in la and california 
and then down in now they're in South Florida, Miami, uh, DC, where you know I had a stop down in DC for two years. I was telling you about Nolan, and that's where I really kind of married the construction day to day world that I grew up around with that corporate sort of client B two B business type of mentality, and and I think I've done a pretty good job so far. So I, I took what I learned from related came back out to really help my dad evolve his building business and then also do what I do really well, which is connect with people and 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 sort of and sell and really kind of try and marry people's wishes and desires with their dreams of owning homes out here. So it's cool. Yeah. I, I So JB, we probably end the podcast right here because you've hit on three things that I, I, I stress with my students, right? The love of learning for lifelong learners, the hard work, your story is one of a lot of hard work. And it goes, it certainly goes back to your dad and then connecting with people. You do those three things really well. You're going to be successful in life. Uh, you're going to be successful in negotiations. So I guess we'll just end the pro- <laughs> program right there. <laughs> Hit it off. No, I'm teasing. Hey, listen. So as you look at the work you're doing today in real estate, where, where does the skill of negotiation show up? And maybe, you know, if you get really specifically, who are the folks that you're commonly negotiating with as you kind of marry up construction with real estate and over what sorts of things? That's a great question. So I kind of have two different buckets. The one I can speak to as a real estate advisor, it's both representing either a seller of a property or a buyer slash investor in a certain property. Um, Both styles of negotiating. um, I I think everyone kind of has their own style of negotiating, but those are the, the players change, but your style and approach really doesn't, in my opinion. Um, So that's one bucket. And then the other bucket is with building. And I think the biggest time I see myself negotiating besides with trying to appease the the client um, when we're building custom homes is with um, subcontractors, meaning so for the general contractor on a project, we need to make sure that our subcontractors, whether that's plumbing, siding, masonry, uh, different landscapers, that they're all aligned with our common goal, which is to finish a product within or finish a home in a certain period of time, but also maintaining that integrity of the product. And what, you know, kind of, and I hate to, I'm going to kind of say money a lot, but what makes our, what makes our business go is really that bottom line. And so if we're able to negotiate with subcontractors to either either leverage the fact that they can uh, secure our business down the road with future projects. And that means maybe they're, they're doing it for a little bit less money, whether it's, you know, again, they're, they're doing the patio outside. It's usually $25,000, but if you guys do it for 18,000, you know, we secure the next two projects that are already lined up down the road. So I think there's two different buckets there, but it's something Aram, I do every day. I got to say it's exhausting. Sometimes it is, because it's, <laughs> it's just, it's every day, all day. And I think one of, the questions that I think we'll get to is, and it doesn't stop when you get home. It's, it's both, right. you're, you're still constantly going with the clients and the subs and the guys that work for you, but also in your home life, whether it's your significant other or it's your family members, there's always some sort of negotiation happening, whether it's, it's in the business world or in your personal life that I, I'm sure you guys can attest to as well. Well, I'm sure we're going to dive into that because we've had four pretty big negotiators on the podcast. And I'm curious to see what your answer to that question is with regards to negotiating with your personal life, how successful you actually are, but we'll get that kind of uh, at the end here. I kind of want to follow up with something that you said here, and that was the relationship between contractors and subcontractors. So it's a lot easier 
to have someone take the deal now at a discount in hopes of getting the the deals in the future when you have a lot of the power in the negotiation. But I'm curious to know, I mean, from your perspective, how powerful or how much power do the subcontractors actually have in the negotiation because you're kind of beholden to to them and the work that they perform so that you can complete the project on time? A really good question too, Nolan. I think, so to put it simply, there's a few subcontractors that stand out because of their work and because of their accountability more so than others. So we may be going back and forth and it could be, I'll use this guy, Silverio, who does our pools. You know, Silverio will say, yeah, JB, like we can, we can take a discount here, but who are you going to call and know that they're going to show up the next day? It's not going to be anyone else. It's going to be me. So it is, there is a little bit of back and forth and, and there is power there. And I think to more simply put the answer is it goes back to these core values, right? It, it's, it's the accountability factor. It's the trust factor. It's the relationship between either A and B players within a negotiation. So I see it more often than not. I, I typically think they're going to fold, but they usually come back with something strong. And then it's sort of a finding a compromise and figuring out how to work together going forward. It's a great question. Awesome. You know, that's a great little dive there on the subcontractor sort on the other bucket with investors, buyers. Do you see any trends in terms of when, you know, when things don't go well, the cost, when, when, when things are going really well, the benefit, the value that you're able to create with, with either a buyer or investor? Yeah, I think, you know, what it comes down to is like every case and every deal is different. I think that a lot of times what I like to do, Aram, is I like to really, one, I think that that this is the first step is really be super knowledgeable about, you know, for me, more specifically, it's about the properties and really about who the players are within this deal. Understanding what is the most important items for each player, whether it's a seller or buyer or investor and prioritizing those things. And once you have that information, you kind of come up with a game plan. For example, it might be someone that I know, you know, a buyer comes in and they may, their most important thing in their life is their family. So trying to understand that, you know, we need to, we need to position them in a place where they're close to rec centers and they're close to parks and things like that and leveraging that sort of thing in a deal but it differs in every single sense and, and, and it's every single deal is different, circumstantial. And it's, you know, I've found that, I don't know if you guys feel the same way. I found that a lot of times people just, you, you, they just want to be able to kind of compromise and it's just find a middle ground some way, somehow. And if you're open to that and you're open to that dialogue and you don't just shut down, you don't just say, no, this is it, take it or leave it. A lot of times it leads to a good thing. And, and a, a lot of people are better than they seem, but they just they just want to talk it out and they just want to have a conversation about it. So something that you kind of said there, JB, was building a game plan. You know, Aaron and I are huge advocates of preparation before we go into negotiation. Uh, we believe that, I mean, ultimately that makes you really be successful or at least have the best chances at having a great outcome. So you kind of talked about a few things there. You talked about a bunch of different players in a deal, right? And so kind of figuring out the different needs and desires of each of these players and the path to get there. So kind of two-pronged here, but first, what path do you take? How do you prepare whenever you're trying to outline all of this for a negotiation for a deal? So I think for me, it goes back to, and this actually adds to my workload, but it's just, it's relationships. And by what I mean by that is, 
in a deal, it's really important to be efficient with your time, but also understanding the pieces that go into making a deal. So for example, if I have relationships with a local attorney, a better relationship with a local attorney or better relationships with a home inspector or better relationships with the town building department, I give my person a better chance to succeed in a deal. And I can leverage those relationships in order to either expedite the deal or kind of box out other people trying to get in and then use that as leverage when I'm going to negotiate a better price for my buyer or a higher price for my seller. I think the biggest, when I was kind of thinking on this the last couple of days about negotiating, I think relationships is everything. And, and certainly as it pertains to my business, and, and that takes more work. That means you're on your phone more often. That means you're doing more coffees and lunches and everything else. But I feel like that preparation and that sustainability of those relationships and being in front of those people, although it does, it is t more time consuming and it sort of, it takes away from maybe, you know, spending a little bit more time with your, your loved ones and things like that. Um, starting off in your career, it's, it's essential. It's, you have to do it. And uh, it's really something that's helped me along the way here. And something I'll definitely continue to do moving forward. Yeah, that's something that we would certainly espouse is the the value, the importance of relationships and agree with you the amount of time that it takes to manage those well, because I assume you're not calling, you know, the town building folks or that attorney just when you need something, you're, ma you're managing those relationships actively as you talk, you know, lunch and, and other things, you know, in that part of that's your own brand too. That That's hard work. That's probably a lot more work than people know it is. You, you have to, and it's not, you, you're not going to get an answer if you just, if you called and needed something, you guys know this. If you, you just pick up the phone and call and need something, a lot of times those guys will be like, oh, JB hasn't, you know, reached out for my birthday or JB didn't invite <laughs> me to his little summer soiree. You know? So <laughs> you gotta, you gotta be in front of everyone and just, just make sure that uh, you're on the same page. So it's super important. The other question, follow up in, on terms of prep. I mean, you talked about just knowing these properties. And I remember this was something you talked about when we did that bridge program too. You you do a lot of homework when it comes to understanding these properties that, that you are either getting people to invest or or to purchase. You, you have to. And I think it's really for me, and it, again, it's going to tie in the relationship piece, but it's, I have a relationship with a title company. So every not every deal, but when there's a deal that I know that we're going to have to separate ourselves a little bit, I'll reach out to the title company, spend a little bit of money out of my pocket to understand everything that's happened at that property, whether there's liens or anything that, you know, that we can't see on the public facing view, just so I have a better understanding of if I'm putting my uh, client in, in a bad position or a good position and, and understanding that. I don't know many other brokers or advisors that do that. And I think that that's something that separates me. And that's something that will give me an edge when it comes time to negotiate a price or negotiate, you know, commissions or things like that. That's something that gives me leverage. Yeah. I think JB kind of, kind of a question here. And I was just kind of thinking about the exciting parts of watching HTV, HGTV. And unfortunately at your expense, it's usually when, it, when something pops up and now the agent has to explain to the investor, to the buyer, to the seller, oh crap, something just popped up, something went horribly wrong. How do you then approach that bad news of giving it to your client? Good question. So I think it actually goes back to my Dartmouth days, my head coach, who's still there, head football coach, Buddy Tevens. And I took a lot of things, a lot of different learnings from him. I thought he was extremely instrumental in both being a great football coach, but also, you know, trying to formulate how to be a good man 
um, when you're between 18 and 22. And that's such a pivotal time, I think, in everyone's lives. And he said, you can be as prepared as possible for situations, but there's most likely going to come a time when you're going to have to A and I. And A and I is adjust and improvise. So it's, it's, it's something that I use. And he's like, you'll use it on the football field in the short term. And I promise you, you're going to use it in life going forward and, and whatever you do um, in your careers. So I think, you know, the preparation is, is essential. It's required. But there will be times where something goes astray or something goes wrong and you weren't prepared for it. But you have to have the ability to adapt and you have to have the ability to be prepared with contingency plans when that happens. And it's never easy. It's never easy when you have to go to the client and say, hey, look, you know, the landscaping wasn't done. We had an open house and it didn't turn out the way we wanted. I, I scheduled it. I, you know, he was supposed to be there. I called him. He's supposed to be there, but he got tied up in another project. So we didn't get to your home in time. And it's going to happen, but you find ways to make up for that. And, and whether it's you you'd call your brother to get a lawnmower down there, whatever it is, you know, you got to figure out ways to, to get it done and, and adjust and improvise in situations. So it's something that I, I, I A and I all the time, and I'm sure you guys do in your own world. Hey, so got a follow up there. So kind of putting you on the hot seat here. Do you have an example of when something went absolutely wrong and maybe you handled it how you wanted or maybe you didn't, but could you share that with us and the lessons learned from that? Our last spec home that we built was uh, for Andrea Asset Development, my family. It was for, we, we had it on the market for $3.7 million in Southampton. The client who we signed a deal before the home was complete, and I'm sure there actually might be a question later on to this. We might have to circle back to this, but the client signed on this home before it was complete, meaning for the last three months of the project, while we completed, essentially turned into a custom build because there was change orders and this and that, that they wanted wallpapers and they wanted different hardware in the kitchen, things like that. So before they signed, he had come out once with his family. We've been back and forth over the last week uh, over the terms of, of what the contract's going to be and some of the customizations that we're going to add to the deal, even though it was a spec home. And he's coming out on Sunday. It was, I believe, last, it was actually last Memorial Day weekend, now that I think about it, because the house sold in July. So he tells me on Saturday he's coming out. We have to move out, move over all our plans that we had for Memorial Day weekend to be there. But that Saturday night, it was pouring. It rained. We probably got an inch and a half, two inches of rain. He's coming out Sunday with his family. And really, papers are going to be there. He's going to do a final walkthrough and figure it out. We get to the house probably 45 minutes before they were supposed to arrive. The basement wasn't finished yet. We go to the basement. There's two inches of, of water in there. Oh, man. Right? So, <laughs> so, Jaten, so Jaten, the buyer, and I can I already asked him. I can say his name. He's on his way out, and I call him, seeing if hopefully he's delayed because of the rain. Nope. But what we had to do is literally call my little sister, call my mom. We got shop vacs from our barn literally trying to push out all the rain with brooms, everything. So because we knew if he and his family walked down to the basement and they saw a builder, no matter it's rain, right? It, some things, mother nature, you can't control. But um, we knew that we had to clear that water out and as fast as possible. So it was all hands on deck. It was uh, clearing the, out the water as much as we could. And there was little damp spots when he finally got there. And I kind of held him up. We were walking the first and second floor, being extremely diligent with everything trying to buy time in the basement. 
and put a couple uh, big tarps down so it didn't look like it was too bad when he got down there. But he never found out that that happened. <laughs> he didn't ask anything. That, and uh, it's one of those situations where, yeah, you, you just you, you prepared for everything, but sometimes it just something arises and you got to handle it. Yeah. So, and he ended up buying a house. So thank God. Well, sounds like you need to thank that little sister. So little yeah, younger siblings, we, they, we take a lot advantage of them over the years, but there's a relationship that's worth maintaining. A hundred percent. Yeah. Little Hannah stepped up. She's now, yeah, she's 23 at the time. She's like, I'm going out to Montauk with my friends, but she showed up and she, she got her hands dirty. She's like one of the boys, one of the brothers for the day. Hey everyone, Nolan here. Got to jump in and end the conversation right here. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the NegotiateX podcast. We'll greatly appreciate it. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to NegotiateX Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.